Red Praise number 90. Sing out for the multitudes. around me bring me near draw me to your side and as I wait I'll rise up like the eagle and I will soar with you your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. Amen. Thank you.
Chris and I represented um, all the United Methodist Church yesterday at the um, parade in Osseo. Osseo and Chris rode one of the oldest bikes in the parade, 1948 Harley-Davidson. Amen. And he's here to talk about it today. <laughs> we want to welcome those by way of television this morning, and that, as I mentioned earlier, um, Chris Larson and myself represented the Olivet United Methodist Church at Osseo Days in the Osseo Phenomenal Parade and that, and he rode on, you know, just a talented Harley Davis in 1948. And that, um, is that, that bike older than you, Chris? Just about, just about. I had a fun time. I had my VMAX and I could just barely keep up with Chris. I mean, he's a our guy to keep up to, and it's so good to have Chris back. As we open this morning, we ask that come thou fount of every blessing, our red hymnals number 28, number 28, and um, 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Red hymnals number 28, please. precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to And if you turn with me to Savior like a shepherd, lead us. Red hymnals number 321. 321, first and second verse, please.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we sense a kind of a, a, a heavy spirit, a heavy spirit. For you are the God of all people. Teach us to be patriotic, but humbly so. Teach us to see the frailty, the beauty, and the value of life in light of this tragedy that we commemorate today, the 9-11, rather than using it to elevate trivial differences to the heights of divisive reasons for hatred. Remind us of the way of the true heart of our nation's people was revealed in open doors, open arms, and open hearts. May we never forget that on that day we did not focus on nationality. No, not on nationality or wealth or race or education. But we focused on humanity and love for our fellow Americans. Lord, call us back to that place in our hearts. Instill in us the deepest sense to be that people once again. We left up to you all those who even today, many years later, suffer from the losses. May we continue to heal and help each other and just as we did that day. For today, we acknowledge a very good and a gracious God. Today we come before you with heavy hearts. realizing that there's a very sinful, fallen humanity as we remember the events of 9-11. For some of us today, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions, but we hurt deeply for those who lost their lives and those who lost their loved ones. We mourn the nearly 3,000 who died that day. We are humbled by the bravery of the first responders, we continue to grieve with our neighbors in the loss of our national innocence, our false sense of constant safety. As we think of the day and the way New York and DC responded, as churches and synagogues and temples opened their doors to all people, as strangers carried each other out of buildings, as those who had shared with those who had lost loved ones. And as we remember the bravery of the passengers and crew of United Airlines Flight 93, our pride wells up in us. Yet we struggle today not wanting to get caught up in the celebration it's sometimes too prideful remembrance of loss. We still remember how the world responded supporting us and even declaring us one people. The headlines read, and we remember the immediate call to war and the more than 100,000 deaths from it. God of all people, teach us to be patriotic, but humbly so teach us to see the frailty, the beauty, and the value of life in light of this tragedy, rather than using it to elevate trivial differences to the heights of divisive reasons for hatred. Remind us 
of the response of the American people and not the response of the government and its war machines remind us of the way the true heart of this nation's people was revealed in open doors and open arms and open hearts. We, maybe we never forget that on that day, we did not focus on nationality or, or wealth or education or sex or, or sexuality. But our focus was on Jesus Christ, the God of love, compassion, and healing and reality. Look on us, people of many different faiths and traditions who gather today at this site, the sites of their churches, their synagogues, their temples, and scenes of incredible violence and pain. We ask you in your goodness to give eternal life and peace to all who died in the heroic first responders, the firefighters, the police officers, the emergency service workers, and Port Authority personnel, along with the innocent men and women who were victims of this tragedy, simply because their work or their service brought them there on September 11, 2001. And we ask you, O oh God, in your compassion to bring healing to those who, because of their presence, suffer from injuries and illnesses continually. The pain of still grieving families and all who lost loved ones in this tragedy give them strength to continue their lives with courage and hope. For we are mindful as well of those who suffered death, injury, and loss on the same day at the Pentagon in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Our hearts are one with theirs as our prayers embraces their pain and their suffering. As we hear the, the memorial, the memorial is even being considered closing because people have lost sight of what occurred on that day and the visitors have dwindled. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, and a peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. God of all understanding, overwhelmed by the magnitude of this tragedy, we seek your light and guidance in this. We confront such terrible events. We pray for a restraint on evil on this memorial, 9-11, that no other forms of wickedness would occur. Grant that those whose lives were spared may live so that the lives lost here may not have been lost in vain. Comfort and console us, strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and the courage to work tirelessly for a world where, where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. Grow God of love and compassion and healing. Bring peace to this very violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, and peace among nations of this earth. Strengthen us in the hope and the joy of your salvation. Give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world that is blessed by your name. And as we consider this morning, Lord, our scripture lesson, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, we ask a special blessing upon that, that it may minister to us about the true test. And help us not to be among the murmurers, but help us to be upon the advocates of those who 
who ride for freedom and peace. And the truth of liberty, as you taught us, your followers to pray, sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. I know some of you, by way of television and radio, have, have sensed there's a kind of a hurriedness in our service. We and we ask that you take this to prayer because we do want to honor the gathering church who I've mentioned in prayer on a number of occasions. And, Jehoff, we do share our beautiful facilities with the gathering, and we do have to be done by 10, 10, 10, 10 minutes after 10, so they can come in immediately, and they're going to be having their big launch, big launch next week. We're going to prove to them that we can get our service done in you know, a good stewardship of time. Reading now from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, the parable of the lost sheep. And you can probably visualize yourself in this, maybe amidst your lostness and your worldliness, or maybe you've lost a coin in, in um, it was a, a time where you swept the house or looked through your pants or your pockets, you know. Many of us have, have misplaced our keys, our car keys, and that's, we know what it's like to lose something that we can't find and we need immediately. The parable of the lost sheep, according to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and follow, was also in, recorded in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 10 through 14. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. Can you imagine all these learned Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and they were murmuring and they were saying, this fella welcomes. You know, how can he welcome sinners and he even eats with them? So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one, the one that is lost, until that one is found? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy. Say it with me, more joy. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what, what woman or person having ten silver coins, if they lose one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully and diligently until they find it? 
And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Our scripture kind of highlighted the, the relationship between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus Christ. Jesus knew his father, well, obviously, because his father knew his father's loving and compassionate. The scribes and Pharisees knew him as a legalist, unpleasant, and unforgiving. This is the exact opposite of the father that Jesus knew. The book of Luke creates a loving look at Jesus as he criticizes his opposition. Like described in the Pharisees. But interestingly enough, he never scolds sinners or even criticizes their behavior, their wayward behavior, I should say. In fact, two parables that are listed in Luke involve victories and celebrations over recovery. Jesus starts with inviting his listeners to see to his side of the conflict. He says, hey, come, come here, I'm, I'll be on my side. The parables did have some things in common. They were both parables of loss, suffered, and victory after recovery. They celebrated. They both involved something missing from a larger group. Number two, the subject goes great lengths to recover the lost. They just, oh, well, it's gone. No, no. They, they, they pressed forward until they had what was lost recovered. And then number three, a celebration marks the recovery of the former lost item. And finally, number four, Jesus explains the parable's purpose. Something we can have learned from these is God eagerly, eagerly seeks us that are lost and celebrates their return to him, to their faith in Jesus Christ. But don't think God just sits up there waiting for somebody to show up in heaven. He eagerly seeks his children. There's coincidences or happenings in everybody's life where you can see and, and verify and celebrate God is in control. Like in Genesis 3.9, God is searching for us. In Genesis 3.9, God went searching. Where are you for Adam and Eve? It's not that he didn't know where they were. It was the fact that Adam and Eve did not know where God was. They had left him, and they were lost. Our like Jesus protagonist, they vilified Jesus. They didn't say, uh, don't listen to him, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's not what they said. They said he's with sinners and tax collectors, which was, at that time, the lowest of the social realm. The latter, they're at the bottom. But they, they spread and hung uh, false charges against Jesus because they wanted to build support up 
on their side against him. He explains their blinded and dogged religiosity. The first parable Jesus told us of a lost sheep. Jesus called the great shepherd, of course. This rang true to the audience because of the question he asked. He asked, which of you with one hundred sheep would not leave 99 to go after the one that was lost until he finds it? Like God makes an effort to find us as children, Jesus explained, which of you shepherds would lose a sheep and just not look for it? None of them would. When, when they find the sheep, won't he call his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. A similar thing happens in heaven for every one of us God's children that repent and come back to God, Father God through Jesus Christ. Heaven rejoices for every new soul that turns the page of their lives. Say, so you know what? I am God's child. I am forgiven, and I'm going to spread the word. Heaven rejoices at that news every time for everybody that gets transformed through the loss of the phone. Jesus, claim, Jesus claimed in Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10 is a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. The coins the woman had, she had 10 of them. They were valuable pieces of silver. And now just to us and God, we are God's valuable children. He knows exactly how many of us there are. He also knows how many of us have not come to him through his son. Each one of us is a valuable piece of treasure that God paid an awful price for to renew and restore the relationship. For when we pass, we don't just go to the ground, we don't just get buried. Our soul, our internal being, goes back to be with Father God, our Father. When the lady recovered her last coin, lost coin, she called her friends and neighbors together to celebrate her victory. Hey, look, I got my silver coin back. In Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Then it says, heaven rejoices with the repentance of every one sinner. More than 99 that repented before that. Every time somebody comes to join you and God, Father, Father God's kingdom, there's a celebration in heaven. We don't see it, we don't hear the music, we don't see it dancing. But every time you share the words of Jesus Christ with somebody else and they repent, it caused them to celebrate on the heaven. Hey, we got another one. Well, that's my work, not God's. <laughs> Realized that the woman had ten coins to be in with and lost one out of the ten. Most Bible versions say the angelic joy occurs with the repentance of one sinner, more than 99 souls that have already repented. 
you want to cause a celebration in heaven? I certainly do. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let them know about the love Father God has to them. Spread the Lord's great works and words to those in need. They may be in need and not even know it. They don't know what they're missing. We know we have heavenly treasure and rewards when we go back to our Father. They don't know that. How much more does that make it important for you to spread the good news, good news of Jesus Christ and Father God's kingdom to them so they join us? People often don't know how far removed from God they are. We measure ourselves against the perfect, the ultimate role of Jesus Christ. That's how we measure ourselves. We cannot do this, not without our faith in Christ and the work that he performed on the cross to restore our relationship with Father God. We didn't even know we were missing until we were found. So go forth and do that. Help other people get fine to the God's kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We probably all remember where we were um, 21 years ago at Hemp. I think, Mike, were you headed for the Gulf then? Yeah. I got a call from the Pentagon. I was in my office here, and we're going to head up a team of chaplains for um, various sites throughout D.C. No sooner got off the phone, and we heard a, a call. There were murmurings. There were murmurings of, you know, the Mall of America being hit, and we didn't want to alarm anybody in, in Minnesota. But we did provide 24-7 um, air support with our F-16s. The chapter which begins with these verses, it's very well known to Bible readers if, of, if among those in the scripture, among any others, a few chapters perhaps have done more good, more good to the souls of, of you and I. Well, let's... let's um, Take heed that it does good for us as we examine it this morning. We should first observe in these verses a striking testimony, and we should all have testimonies in which was born of our Lord by his enemies. It's not a matter of whether you have a testimony or not. It's a matter of whether it's good or bad. We read that when all the publicans and all the sinners drew near, to hear Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, they murmured. Scripture says they murmured, saying, this man, this man, Jesus, receives sinners, and he actually takes time to eat with them. Now, these words were evidently spoken with a sense of surprise and scorn, and not with pleasure or elevation or encouragement, admiration. These ignorant guides, they were guard, guides, but they were ignorant guides of the Jews, could not understand a preacher of religion having anything to do with wicked people. Yet their words worked for good. The very saying which was 
meant for reproach was adopted by the Lord Jesus as a true description of his office. It, it, it led to his speaking and preaching three of the most instructive parables which would fall from the lips of Jesus. The testimony of the scribes and the testimony of the Pharisees, the leaders, the lawyers and the leaders and politicians of Jesus' day, they were very strict. They're very literal. And the Lord Jesus is indeed one that receiveth sinners. He receives them to pardon them, to sanctify them, and to make them meet for heaven and ready for heaven. That was his mission. It's this special office of Jesus. For this end, Jesus came into the world. He, Jesus came in to call the right, call not the righteous, but, but sinners. Sinners to repentance. The righteous felt that they were so right in the eyes of God because of all their religious works and they didn't realize their lostness. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what Jesus was upon the earth, Jesus is now at the right hand of God and will be for all eternity. Jesus is emphatically the sinner's friend. He's your friend. He's my friend from pulpit to pew. And have we any sense of sin? Do we? Do we feel bad? and wicked and guilty and deserving of God's anger? Is the remembrance of our past lives bitter to us? Does the recollection of our past con conduct make us ashamed? Then we are the very people who ought to apply to Christ, just as we are, pleading nothing of our own, making no useless delay. Christ Jesus will graciously accept us pardon us freely, and give us eternal life. He is the one that receiveth, receiveth sinners. Let us not be lost for want of applying to Jesus that we may be saved. We should observe secondly in these verses the, the remarks. The very remarks and the re very remarkable figures under which our Lord describes his own love. Toward sinners. We read that in reply to the taunting and the, the remarks of his enemies, Jesus spoke three parables. These parables are before you today, the parables of the lost sheep, the, the lost piece of silver, and the prodigal son. The first two of these parables are now before us. All three are meant to illustrate the one and the same truth. They all throw strong light on Christ's willingness to save sinners. Christ's love is a very active, it's a very working love, an unconditional love, just as the shepherd did not sit still bewailing his lost sheep, and the woman did not sit still bewailing her lost money, so our blessed Lord did not sit still, did not sit still in heaven, pitying sinners. Jesus left the glory which he had with the Father and he humbled himself to made be likeness, likeness of you and I, the Emmanuel, 
God in flesh. Jesus never rested till he had made atonement for our transgressions. And we are to be brought into an everlasting righteousness, provided eternal redemption, and opening, opened a door of life to all who are willing to be saved. But not all are willing to be saved. Christ's love is a self-denying love. The shepherd brought his lost sheep home on his own shoulders rather than leaving it in the wilderness. The woman lighted a candle and, and she swept her house and searched diligently and spared no pain till she found her lost money. And just so did Christ not spare himself when he undertook to save sinners, as I knew. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He, Jesus, laid down his life for his friends. Greater love than this hath no one on earth, according to John 15, 13, and Hebrews 12, 2. Christ's love is a, is a deep and a mighty love, just as the shepherd rejoiced, rejoiced to find the sheep and the woman to find her money, so does the, the Lord Jesus rejoice to save sinners. It is a real pleasure to, to Jesus to pluck the sinner from the brands of hell. It was his meat and his drink when upon earth to, to finish the work which he had set out to do. He felt straightened, straightened in spirit to accomplish that which his father sent him to do. It, it's still his delight to show mercy. It is far more, and he is far more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. And let us, let us strive to know something of this love of Christ. It's a love that truly passes knowledge. It's, it's an unspeakable and unsearchable love. It is that on which we must wholly rest our souls in if we would have the peace and time and, and glory and in eternity. If we take comfort in our own love of Christ, we're building on sandy foundation. But if we lean on Christ's love to us, we are on a rock. We should observe lastly in these verses uh, the encouragement which our Lord holds out to a repentant heart. We read these striking words, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. We read these verses. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And the thing is, is doubled to make doubt impossible. The, the idea is repeated in order to make shipwreck our unbelief. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio and Facebook and get you and YouTube, there, there are deep things in these sayings. Beyond doubt, our poor, weak minds 
are little able to understand the perfect joy of heaven that heaven can admit and the increase of those being saved. But one thing at any rate stands out clearly on on the face of the expressions. There is an infinite willingness on God's part to receive sinners. However wicked one may have been in the day that they turn from their wickedness and come to God by Christ, God is well pleased. God is well, well pleased. God has no pleasure in the death of the unbeliever in God has no pleasure in lostness, but God has a pleasure in true repentance. And let the person who is afraid to repent consider well these verses we are are now looking at and, and be afraid no more. There is nothing on God's part to justify our fears as an open door is set before us. A free pardon awaits us if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let the person who is ashamed to repent consider these verses and cast shame aside. What through the world and when through the world mocks and jests at one's repentance while humans mock and murmur, angels are rejoicing. The very change which sinners call foolishness is a change which fills heaven with joy. Have we repented ourselves? This, after all, is the principal question. The question which comes and concerns us, what shall it profit us to know Christ's love if we do not use his love? If we know not these things, we are lost. But if we know these things, happy, happy and joyful are those who rejoice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and as we close in prayer and remember this day of infamy, where lives were just ridiculously dealt with. How those pilots of the plane had for months planned suicidal missions. How the corruptness and deprivation and degradation and reprobation. Father, we pray that as we decide to follow Jesus that we would, we would stop and consider our relationship with God and one another by repeating, Dear Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my heart and life. Show me my blind spots. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, let us turn to our offertory prayer. And if you join me, God of relentless love, The gospel reminds us of the joy you feel when one of your children chooses a path of repentance and redemption. We picture the celebration in your heart when that choice is made. We also know how prone we are to wander off that path as we pursue those things that satisfy ourselves only. Receive the gifts we offer this day as a sign of our striving to get back on the path that leads us to you. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, the light of our path. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning for the offering, would you turn to our offertory prayer, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Read hymnals, number 266, verses 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? Lord, we pause to remember the great losses and courageous acts of September 11th. We lift up to those who are still affected, families of the victims, police officers, firemen, first responders, military, and all who are involved. We pray for the light of Christ to flood the hearts of people everywhere. We believe you desire to redeem all your creation, and we trust that beauty will continue to come from the ashes of our darkest days. Surround us with your mighty angels of protection. Bless these gifts and these givers. Give us compassion for one another in all life circumstances and the courage to answer your call. Amen. Red Praise, number 90. 
sing out for the multitudes. your love Lord unveil my eyes let me see your face to face the knowledge of your love and live in me Lord renew around me bring me near draw me to your side and as I wait I'll rise up like the eagle and I will soar with you your spirit leads me on in the power of your love. Amen. Thank you.
Chris and I represented um, all the United Methodist Church yesterday at the um, parade in Osseo. Osseo and Chris rode one of the oldest bikes in the parade, 1948 Harley-Davidson. Amen. And he's here to talk about it today. <laughs> we want to welcome those by way of television this morning, and that, as I mentioned earlier, um, Chris Larson and myself represented the, all of it United Methodist Church at Osseo Days in the Osseo Phenomenal Parade and that, and he rode on, you know, just a talented Harley Davis in 1948. And that, um, is that, that bike older than you, Chris? Just about, just about. I had a fun time. I had my VMAX and I could just barely keep up with Chris. I mean, he's a our guy to keep up to, and it's so good to have Chris back. As we open this morning, we ask that 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Uh, Red hymnals number 28, number 28. And um, come thou fount of every blessing. Red hymnals number 28, please. His precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel. And if you turn with me to Savior like a shepherd, lead us. Red hymnals number 321. 321, first and second words, please.
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning we sense a kind of a, a, a heavy spirit, a heavy spirit. For you are the God of all people. Teach us to be patriotic, but humbly so. Teach us to see the frailty, the beauty, and the value of life in light of this tragedy that we commemorate today, the 9-11, rather than using it to elevate trivial differences to the heights of divisive reasons for hatred. Remind us of the way of the true heart of our nation's people was revealed in open doors, open arms, and open hearts. May we never forget that on that day we did not focus on nationality. No, not on nationality or wealth or race or education. But we focused on humanity and love for our fellow Americans. Lord, call us back to that place in our hearts. Instill in us the deepest sense to be that people once again. We left up to you all those who even today, many years later, suffer from the losses. May we continue to heal and help each other and just as we did that day. For today, we acknowledge a very good and a gracious God. Today we come before you with heavy hearts. Realizing that there's a very sinful, fallen humanity. As we remember the events of 9-11. For some of us today, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions, but we hurt deeply for those who lost their lives and those who lost their loved ones. We mourn the nearly 3,000 who died that day. We are humbled by the bravery of the first responders. We continue to grieve with our neighbors in the loss of our national innocence, our false sense of constant safety. As we think of the day and the way of New York and D.C. responded, as churches and synagogues and temples opened their doors to all people, as strangers carried each other out of buildings, as those who had shared with those who had lost loved ones. And as we remember the bravery of the passengers and crew of United Airlines Flight 93, our pride wells up in us. Yet we struggle today not wanting to get caught up in the celebration. It's sometimes too prideful remembrance of loss. We still remember how the world responded supporting us and even declaring us one people. The headlines read, and we remember the immediate call to war and the more than 100,000 deaths from it. God of all people, teach us to be patriotic, but humbly so teach us to see the frailty, the beauty, and the value of life in light of this tragedy, rather than using it to elevate trivial differences to the heights of divisive reasons for hatred. Remind us 
of the response of the American people and not the response of the government and its war machines remind us of the way the true heart of this nation's people was revealed in open doors and open arms and open hearts. Maybe we never forget that on that day, we did not focus on nationality or, or wealth or education or sex or, or sexuality. But our focus was on Jesus Christ, the God of love, compassion, and healing and reality. Look on us, people of many different faiths and traditions who gather today at this site. The sites of their churches, their synagogues, their temples, and scenes of incredible violence and pain. We ask you in your goodness to give eternal light and peace to all who died in the heroic first responders, the firefighters, the police officers, the emergency service workers, and Port Authority personnel, along with the innocent men and women who were victims of this tragedy, simply because their work or their service brought them there on September 11, 2001. And we ask you, O oh God, in your compassion to bring healing to those who, because of their presence, suffer from injuries and illnesses continually. The pain of still grieving families and all who lost loved ones in this tragedy give them strength to continue their lives with courage and hope. For we are mindful as well of those who suffered death, injury, and loss on the same day at the Pentagon in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Our hearts are one with theirs as our prayers embraces their pain and their suffering. As we hear the, the memorial, the memorial is even being considered closing because people have lost sight of what occurred on that day and the visitors have dwindled. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, and a peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. God of all understanding, overwhelmed by the magnitude of this tragedy, we seek your light and guidance in this. We confront such terrible events. We pray for a restraint on evil on this memorial, 9-11, that no other forms of wickedness would occur. Grant that those whose lives were spared may live so that the lives lost here may not have been lost in vain. Comfort and console us, strengthen us in hope, and give us the wisdom and the courage to work tirelessly for a world where, where true peace and love reign among nations and in the hearts of all. For, O oh God of love and compassion and healing, bring peace to this very violent world, peace in the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, and peace among nations of this earth. Strengthen us in the hope and the joy of your salvation and Give us the wisdom and courage to work tirelessly for a world that is blessed by your name. And as we consider this morning, Lord, our scripture lesson, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, we ask a special blessing upon that, that it may minister to us about the true test. And help us not to be among the murmurers, but help us to be upon the advocates of those who 
who ride for freedom and peace and the truth of liberty as you taught us your followers to pray sing together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. So grab your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. I know some of you, by way of television and radio, have, have sensed there's a kind of a hurriedness in our service. We and we ask that you take this to prayer because we do want to honor the gathering church who I've mentioned in prayer on a number of occasions and Jay Hoff we do share our beautiful facilities with the gathering and we do have to be done by 10 10 10 10 minutes after 10 so they can come in immediately and they're going to be having their big launch big launch next week we have proof to them that we can get our service done and you know good stewardship of time reading now from Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 10 the parable of the lost sheep and you can probably visualize yourself in this maybe amidst your lostness and your worldliness or maybe you've lost a coin in in um was a a time where you swept the house and looked through your pants and your pockets you know many of us have, have misplaced our keys our car keys and that's so we know what it's like to lose something that we can't find and we need immediately the parable of the lost sheep according to luke chapter 15 verses 1 and follow was also in, recorded in matthew the 18th chapter verses 10 through 14. now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to jesus can you imagine all these learned pharisees tax collectors and sinners and the pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and they were murmuring and they were saying this fella welcomes you know how can he welcome sinners and he even eats with them so jesus told them this parable which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one the one that is lost until that one is found and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices and when he comes home he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for i have found my sheep that was lost just so i tell you there will be more joy say it with me more joy more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or what what woman or person having 10 silver coins if they lose one of them does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully and diligently until they find it 
And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Our scripture kind of highlighted the, the relationship between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus Christ. Jesus knew his father, well, obviously, because his father knew his father's loving and compassionate. The scribes and Pharisees knew him as a legalist, unpleasant, and unforgiving. This is the exact opposite of the father that Jesus knew. The book of Luke creates a loving look at Jesus as he criticizes his opposition. Like described in Pharisees. But interestingly enough, he never scolds sinners or even criticizes their behavior, their wayward behavior, I should say. In fact, the two parables that are listed in Luke involve victories and celebrations over recovery. Jesus starts with inviting his listeners to see to his side of the conflict. He said, hey, come, come here, I'm, I'll be on my side. The parables did have some things in common. They were both parables of loss, suffered, and victory after recovery. They celebrated. They both involved something missing from a larger group. Number two, the subject goes great lengths to recover the lost. They just, oh, well, it's gone. No, no. They, they, they pressed forward until they had what was lost recovered. And then number three, a celebration marks the recovery of the former lost item. And finally, number four, Jesus explains the parable's purpose. Something we can have learned from these is God eagerly, eagerly seeks us their lost and celebrates their return to him, to their faith in Jesus Christ. But don't think God just sits up there waiting for somebody to show up in heaven. He eagerly seeks his children. There's coincidences or happenings in everybody's life where you can see and, and verify and celebrate God is in control. Like in Genesis 3.9, God is searching for us. In Genesis 3.9, God went searching. Where are you for Adam and Eve? It's not that he didn't know where they were. It was the fact that Adam and Eve did not know where God was. They had left him, and they were lost. Our, like Jesus' protagonist, they vilified Jesus. They didn't say, uh, don't listen to him, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's not what they said. They said he's with sinners and tax collectors, which was, at that time, the lowest of the social law. The latter, they're at the bottom. But they, they spread and hung uh, false charges against Jesus because they wanted to build support up 
on their side against him. He explains their blinded and dogged religiosity. The first parable Jesus told us of a lost sheep. Jesus called the great shepherd, of course. This rang true to the audience because of the question he asked. He asked, which of you with one hundred sheep would not leave 99 to go after the one that was lost until he finds it? Like God makes an effort to find us as children, Jesus explained, which of you shepherds would lose a sheep and just not look for it? None of them would. When, when they find the sheep, won't he call his friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. A similar thing happens in heaven for every one of us, God's children, that repent and come back to God, Father God through Jesus Christ. Heaven rejoices for every new soul that turns the page of their lives. Say, so you know what? I am God's child. I am forgiven, and I'm going to spread the word. Heaven rejoices at that news every time for everybody that gets transformed from the loss of the fallen. Jesus claimed, Jesus claimed in Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10 is a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. The coins the woman had, she had 10 of them. They were valuable pieces of silver. And now just to us and God, we are God's valuable children. He knows exactly how many of us there are. He also knows how many of us have not come to him through his son. Each one of us is a valuable piece of treasure that God paid an awful price for to renew and restore the relationship. For when we pass, we don't just go to the ground, we don't just get buried. Our soul, our internal being, goes back to be with Father God, our Father. When the lady recovered her last coin, lost coin, she called her friends and neighbors together to celebrate her victory. Hey, look, I got my silver coin back. In Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Then it says, heaven rejoices with the repentance of every one sinner. More than 99 that repented before that. Every time somebody comes to join you and God, Father, Father God's kingdom, there's a celebration in heaven. We don't see it, we don't hear the music, we don't see it dancing. But every time you share the words of Jesus Christ with somebody else, and they repent, it causes them to celebrate on heaven. Hey, we got another one. Well, that's my work, not God's. <laughs> Realize that the woman had 10 coins to be in with and lost one out of the 10. Most Bible versions say the angelic joy occurs with the repentance of one sinner, more than 99 souls that have already repented. 
to want to cause a celebration in heaven? I certainly do. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let them know about the love Father God has to them. Spread the Lord's great works and words to those in need. They may be in need and not even know it. They don't know what they're missing. We know we have heavenly treasure and rewards when we go back to our Father. They don't know that. How much more does that make it important for you to spread the good news, good news of Jesus Christ and Father God's kingdom to them? So they join us. People often don't know how far removed from God they are. We measure ourselves against the perfect, the ultimate role of Jesus Christ. That's how we measure ourselves. We cannot do this now without our faith in Christ and the work that he performed on the cross to restore our relationship with Father God. We didn't even know we were missing until we were found. So go forth and do that. Help other people get fine to the God's kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, brother. We probably all remember where we were um, 21 years ago at Kent. I think, Mike, were you headed for the Gulf then? Yeah. I got a call from the Pentagon. I was in my office here, and we're going to head up a team of chaplains for um, various sites throughout D.C. No sooner got off the phone, and we heard a, a call. There were murmurings. There were murmurings of, you know, the Mall of America being hit, and we didn't want to alarm anybody in, in Minnesota but we did provide um, 24-7 air support with our F-16s. The chapter which begins with these verses, it's very well known to Bible readers if, of, if among those in the scripture, among any others, a few chapters perhaps have done more good, more good to the souls of, of you and I. Well, let's... let's um, Take heed that it does good for us as we examine it this morning. We should first observe in these verses a striking testimony, and we should all have testimonies in which was born of our Lord by his enemies. It's not a matter of whether you have a testimony or not. It's a matter of whether it's good or bad. We read that when all the publicans and all the sinners drew near, to hear Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees, they murmured. Scripture says they murmured, saying, this man, this man, Jesus, receives sinners, and he actually takes time to eat with them. Now, these words were evidently spoken with a sense of surprise and scorn, and not with pleasure or elevation or encouragement, admiration. These ignorant guides, they were guard, guides, but they were ignorant guides of the Jews, could not understand a preacher of religion having anything to do with wicked people. Yet their words worked for good. The very saying which was meant 
for a reproach was adopted by the Lord Jesus as a true description of his office. It, it, it led to his speaking and preaching three of the most instructive parables which would fall from the lips of Jesus. The testimony of the scribes and the testimony of the Pharisees, the leaders, the lawyers and the leaders and politicians of Jesus' day, they were very strict. They are very literal. And the Lord Jesus is indeed one that receiveth sinners. He receives them to pardon them, to sanctify them, and to make them meet for heaven and ready for heaven. That was his mission. It's this special office of Jesus. For this end, Jesus came into the world. He, Jesus came in to call the right, call not the righteous, but, but sinners. Sinners to repentance. The righteous felt that they were so right in the eyes of God because of all their religious works and they didn't realize their lostness. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what Jesus was upon the earth, Jesus is now at the right hand of God and will be for all eternity. Jesus is emphatically the sinner's friend. He's your friend. He's my friend from pulpit to pew. And have we any sense of sin? Do we? Do we feel bad? and wicked and guilty and deserving of God's anger? Is the remembrance of our past lives bitter to us? Does the recollection of our past conduct make us ashamed? Then we are the very people who ought to apply to Christ, just as we are, pleading nothing of our own, making no useless delay. Christ Jesus will graciously accept us pardon us freely, and give us eternal life. He is the one that receiveth, receiveth sinners. Let us not be lost for want of applying to Jesus that we may be saved. We should observe secondly in these verses the, the remarks. The very remarks and the re very remarkable figures under which our Lord describes his own love toward sinners. We read that in reply to the taunting and the, the remarks of his enemies, Jesus spoke three parables. These parables are before you today, the parables of the lost sheep, the, the lost piece of silver, and the prodigal son. The first two of these parables are now before us. All three are meant to illustrate the one and the same truth. They all throw strong light on Christ's willingness to save sinners. Christ's love is a very active, it's a very working love, an unconditional love, just as the shepherd did not sit still, bewailing his lost sheep, and the woman did not sit still, bewailing her lost money. So our blessed Lord did not sit still, did not sit still in heaven, pitying sinners. Jesus left the glory which he had with the Father and he humbled himself to make be likeness, likeness of you and I, the Emmanuel, God 
in flesh. Jesus never rested till he had made atonement for our transgressions. And we are to be brought into an everlasting righteousness, provided eternal redemption, and opening, opened a door of life to all who are willing to be saved. But not all are willing to be saved. Christ's love is a self-denying love. The shepherd brought his lost sheep home on his own shoulders rather than leaving it in the wilderness. The woman lighted a candle and, and she swept her house and searched diligently and spared no pain till she found her lost money. And just so did Christ not spare himself when he undertook to save sinners, as I knew. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He, Jesus, laid down his life for his friends. Greater love than this hath no one on earth, according to John 15, 13, and Hebrews 12, 2. Christ's love is a, is a deep and a mighty love, just as the shepherd rejoiced rejoiced to find the sheep and the woman to find her money, so does the, the Lord Jesus rejoice to save sinners. It is a real pleasure to, to Jesus to pluck the sinner from the brands of hell. It was his meat and his drink when upon earth to, to finish the work which he had set out to do. He felt straightened, straightened in spirit to accomplish that which his father sent him to do. It, it's still his delight to show mercy. It is far more, and he is far more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. And let us strive to know something of this love of Christ. It's a love that truly passes knowledge. It's, it's an unspeakable and unsearchable love. It is that on which we must wholly rest our souls in if we would have the peace in time and, and glory and in eternity. If we take comfort in our own love of Christ, we're building on sandy foundation, but if we lean on Christ's love to us, we are on a rock. We should observe lastly in these verses uh, the encouragement which our Lord holds out to a repentant heart. We read these striking words, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. We read these verses. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And the thing is, is doubled to make doubt impossible. The, the idea is repeated in order to make shipwreck our unbelief. Father, this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television and radio and Facebook and get you and YouTube, there, there are deep things in these sayings. Beyond doubt, our poor, weak minds 
are little able to understand the perfect joy of heaven that heaven can admit and the increase of those being saved. But one thing at any rate stands out clearly on, on the face of the expressions. There is an infinite willingness on God's part to receive sinners. However wicked one may have been in the day that they turn from their wickedness and come to God by Christ, God is well pleased. God is well, well pleased. God has no pleasure in the death of the unbeliever in God has no pleasure in lostness, but God has a pleasure in true repentance. And let the person who is afraid to re repent consider well these verses we are, are now looking at and, and be afraid no more. There is nothing on God's part to justify our fears as an open door is set before us. A free pardon awaits us if we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let the person who is ashamed to repent consider these verses and cast shame aside. What through the world and when through the world mocks and jests at one's repentance while human mock and murmur, angels are rejoicing. The very change which sinners call foolishness is a change which fills heaven with joy. Have we repented ourselves? This, after all, is the principal question. The question which comes and concerns us, what shall it profit us to know Christ's love if we do not use his love? If we know not these things, we are lost. But if we know these things, happy, happy and joyful are those who rejoice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and as we close in prayer and remember this day of infamy, where lives were just ridiculously dealt with. How those pilots of the plane had for months planned suicidal missions. How the corruptness and deprivation and degradation and reprobation. Father, we pray that as we decide to follow Jesus that we would, we would stop and consider our relationship with God and one another by repeating, Dear Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my heart and life. Show me my blind spots. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, let us turn to our offertory prayer. And if you join me, God of relentless love, the gospel reminds us of the joy you feel when one of your children chooses a path of repentance and redemption. We picture the celebration in your heart when that choice is made. We also know how prone we are to wander off that path as we pursue those things that satisfy ourselves only. Receive the gifts we offer this day as a sign of our striving to get back on the path that leads us to you. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, the light of our path. Amen. As the ushers come forward this morning for the offering, would you turn to our offertory prayer softly and tenderly? Jesus is calling. Read hymnals number 266, verses 1, 2, and 4. 1, 2, and 4.
Would you stand for the doxology, please? Lord, we pause to remember the great losses and courageous acts of September 11th. We lift up to those who are still affected, families of the victims, police officers, firemen, first responders, military, and all who are involved. We pray for the light of Christ to flood the hearts of people everywhere. We believe you desire to redeem all your creation, and we trust that beauty will continue to come from the ashes of our darkest days. Surround us with your mighty angels of protection. Bless these gifts and these givers. Give us compassion for one another in all life circumstances and the courage to answer your call. Amen. 